Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. Save time and money by buying from the most reliable manufacturer on the Gulf Coast. If you buy it today, you pick it up today. They offer 20 Sherwin-Williams colors to choose from, and a 40-year warranty. Baker Metal and Dixie Supply, two names, same great service. With the addition of their new store in Cantonment, Florida, they now have eight locations to serve you. Dixie Supply and Baker Metal Works, your metal roofing headquarters. And also brought to you by Alabama Ag Credit. Buying rural property isn't the same as buying in town. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, give our friends at Alabama Ag Credit a call. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, they can help you with everything from homes and land to tractors and crops, because sometimes natural resources need financial resources. And while some lenders don't get it, they do. Learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com. I'm your host, Joe Bio, here today with my co-host, Bush Theory, and today we've got a new co-host with us. This is Nick Williams. Nick's going Nick's to be a voice you're going to start to hear more and more on the Hunt and Land podcast, and Nick, glad to have you back on. We've had you on before, but for folks who may not know, you you are uh, the newest managing editor of Great Days Outdoors, and uh, you're going to be hosting the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report uh, over there. We're, we're happy to have you on board. You bring an element of knowledge uh, to our organization that, that Butch and I don't have a lot of experience with and uh, on the freshwater side of fishing, or on the public land side of hunting. And, and you do a lot of things like a lot of us do. It's not just hunting and fishing. You really do live the outdoor lifestyle. So we're happy to have you uh, joining us today on Hunt Land and, and getting to talk with you more and more and more. You know, today, what the idea behind today's show, we're doing something a little bit different in that we're not interviewing a guest. This is going to be a roundtable discussion. We thought, you know, the three of us have been have been bow hunting for, for decades now, and we have found a way to screw up just about everything you can screw up. And we really wanted to take a minute to talk to the beginners out there who are interested in bow hunting and can hopefully learn from our mistakes and 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 get ahead of the learning curve, uh, so to speak. I know it took me a long time. Uh, it was five years from the day I first went on my first bow hunt to actually getting an arrow in a deer. And I'm, but I'm proud to say I've been able to arrow a deer every season since then. And that's been coming up on, uh, 19 years. So I've learned a lot along the way and have definitely made a lot of mistakes. Nick, how long have you been hunting with a bow or a, or a crossbow? Yeah. So first of all, thanks for uh, having me on. Excited about the opportunity. I have been bow hunting since I was probably about the same as, as you, 15, 16. You know, once I got old enough where I could physically, you know, pull back what my dad thought was enough hunting weight, I've been out there uh, giving it a go. I, I had several years where I was just, you know, walking in the woods, sitting in the woods with a bow, didn't do a whole lot of killing. And then I'd say probably my second or third year of college is when I really started to feel like I like I killed my first deer and started to really feel like I was getting the game. And then ever since then, I kill, I don't know, anywhere I think the most I've ever killed in a year was 10. And I usually average four or five a year. Butch, you know, for me, the reason I got into bow hunting, I'd like to say it was because I wanted another challenge. 
but it really wasn't for me. It was an extra month on the season. Uh, I just, right. you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. more opportunity for me. And it was a, a means to an end. Now, that being said, as I've gone through the years, I do appreciate the challenge now because it is that, and it is a whole different experience. What got you into it? You started even bow hunting before I did. Yeah, man. I believe I got my first compound bow when I was 12. I have my brother. He's four years older than me. So he was, you know, 16, 17. And my dad, I can remember him bow hunting since I was a a little bitty boy. Um, So I would say it's definitely family driven for me. Yeah. So that's probably why I got, you know, a little bit earlier start, but yeah, I can remember it being pretty rocky in the beginning, man. I remember one time I shot my entire quiver at a doe. I shot six times at a doe and still <laughs> never drew blood. Uh, so I learned a lot in that one sitting as well. I think I was about 15 before I killed my first doe. And then, like I was just telling you guys, I'm I'm not a professional by any means. I just killed my second buck this year, which is hard to believe whenever we started having this talk because I couldn't believe yeah. that either. But yeah, I took a little while off of it and got back into it. And it's addicting, man. I would say probably the last five years, you know, that first one you get out of the way. I'm like, man, I'm that's all I'm doing this year. I'm bow hunting. <laughs> so much better. And then, uh, you know, I, gun hunting comes in and you're like, oh, I'll just take the gun this one time. And right. It seems like you get in that groove and then <laughs> yeah, it's over like, with. Yeah, that was a lot easier. I think I'll just take the gun again. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I tend to say the same thing every year. But there's nothing like it. No, not at all, man. It, but it's a learning curve, no doubt. Nick, was the allure of extended seasons while you got into it? Or, or did you just have a drive to, to shoot something with a bow and arrow? Man, it was it was a mix of both. So, uh, yeah, when I was a kid, man, I was eat up with, with whitetail deer hunting. Just powerful. Didn't care about anything else. Fishing, small game. That's all I wanted to do was hunt deer. And uh, being able to go that month earlier, you know, my dad was going. He'd take his bow and uh you know, he'd say, well, you can't, you can't go, you know, you, you don't know how to bow hunt. So I learned, and, uh, that was the draw. And then my granddaddy, he, uh, he did some trad bow shooting. Um, so there was kind of a little bit of romance and allure just to archery tackle in general when I was a kid, but I'd say predominantly the reason I started and the reason I've stuck with it all these years is the extra opportunity, not just the season, but as a big public land hunter, most of your land and especially your better parcels that have less pressure and bigger mm. deer. You know, if you don't have a bow, you're just not in the game. So. Yeah. And not only extra opportunity in terms of more days to hunt, but I feel like, at least consistently for me, bow season is where I've had my best opportunities at killing a mature whitetail, you know, a, a truly trophy buck because they're just not hip to its hunting season yet. <laughs> it doesn't take them long. But you can get on a pattern, and that's one of the things that I really like is, you know, if you can find a good track, you can get a good deer on trail camera, you can pretty well get on that deer. He's going to stay to that pattern for the early part of the season if you don't booger him off of it. So that's always an exciting part of bow hunting for me. But, you know, I started out, my first bow was a bear, I think it was a bear whitetail hunter. It was an old, it had like the crisscross cables on the wheels and it oh, was yeah. it was long. I bet it was I bet it was 48 inches axle to axle. It was huge. And I remember shooting that thing out in the yard just arrow after arrow after arrow and it would really start to fall off in accuracy once I got Aluminum. past about oh yeah. Aluminum Aluminum. Arrows. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it had one of those it had one of those uh like plastic arrow rests that you had to kind of turn the bow a little bit Oh yeah, you had to cant the bow a little bit to keep it on the air rest. And if you shot about, I don't know, seemed like when you shot about a hundred arrows, the air rest it would just 
cut it in half. You'd have to just go mm-hmm. stick a new air rest on. Just a little piece of plastic. Yeah. And yeah. I learned on that. And I tell you what, it wasn't a very good bow. Like it did not shoot very consistently. But if Agreed. you can get consistent with that, then when I stepped up to what was still an old bow at the time, man, I was I was lights out with that thing. But I shot a lot in the beginning. You know, I shot a bunch. I was not chasing women. I was, didn't have a car. I mean, it was what I could do in the, in the, oh, yeah. in, during every the day. day, every That's what single I did when day. I got home from school, me and dad and Skipper went and shot bows. We shoot for hours. Yeah. And so the focus of this show is going to be the mistakes we've made. And hopefully you won't make this same one. I mean, I think one of the first mistakes I've made is focusing too much on the type of bow that I shot and worry it being trying to, you know, get the latest and the greatest. And man, I mean, you can kill a deer with any bow nowadays. I mean, they are all good, but I think as the bows have gotten better, I, at least I know this has been for me as I've gotten better and better gear, I've practiced less and less and less. And I think that's probably mistake. Number one is not practicing enough. What about you guys? Yeah, I would, I would agree. Kind of echo what you were saying, Joe, like when you, when you start off your eat up with it, like that was all that I did after school was go shoot my bow you know right. wrap, wrap up with homework you go shoot your bow and like you said i started out with some older equipment and i, I shot for the longest time i shot fingers is how yeah. i learned to shoot and i tell you what when, yeah, when you put that release on for the first time and you start shooting that was a <laughs> dude my groups shrunk just 25 yeah. percent of what they used to be just instantly just first afternoon i'd say i've done the same thing i'd say i practiced i practiced progressively less and less and then got to the point where I rarely practiced and then I got to where I just changed how I practiced. So I still shoot comparatively few arrows, but I shoot them differently than how most people shoot them. It's almost like a golf swing in that in the beginning stages of playing golf, you've got to learn this, your swing. And, but once you have your swing, you can pretty well put the clubs down and come back a month later and you're going to swing generally the same. You know, swinging a lot is going to help you establish those motor skills and those motor patterns. But if you don't do it enough in the beginning, you're not going to get there. Uh, that's one of the things I've noticed in teaching my wife about bow hunting is that she just doesn't have the number of arrows, you know, that <laughs> she hasn't shot the number of arrows in her life that I have. And so it's taken her a while to get that volume of arrows up. But Nick, I want to go back to what you were saying about a different way of practice. What is that for you? What are you doing now? Well, the the biggest thing is is just practicing how you hunt and that can mean different things for different people. But I, I think we can all agree not when you shoot a deer, you're not standing flat footed on the ground, feet squared up to your target. And you're definitely not shooting at him and saying, well, let me take, you know, four or five warm-up shots and get the yips out. You right. know, that's, that's not how it works. Your first shot's your only shot. So I kind of switched over the years to practicing that cold shot. You know, shoot mm-hmm. one arrow, go back inside. And if you're not happy with it, well, that's too bad. That's the shot you would have made. Yep. I practiced there for a little bit, especially when I switched over to saddle hunting. Practicing elevated was a big part of what I did. I had my target set up where I could climb 20 foot and shoot. Don't do that as much anymore, but I'm very big on the cold shot, you know, your first shot, a lot of times, if you're shooting in the yard, hanging out with your buddies, you know, those first couple shots are mulligans, but, but that's the, that's the shot in the woods. You know, you, you're very, very lucky to get a second shot. And if you, if you do, well, that's usually not going to be as as easy a shot as the shot you just missed. You know, one of the things in the cold shot is important and 
there's been times where I had good places to shoot and other times where I didn't have good places to shoot, you know, and I used to make the, well, I don't have a good place to shoot. That's why I hadn't been shooting. And in one year in particular, I was going on a hunt out West and I really needed to shoot. You know, I wanted to be able to shoot longer distances. And there were just days where I just didn't have either the time or the spot to go take longer shots. But what I did that year was I would actually just go draw my bow with an arrow in it, with a target out in front of me, right in front of me. But what I would practice on was just holding the bow at full draw. Because how many times do you not only have to take the cold shot, right? But you draw back and that deer looks up at you or looks over at you, uh, or it's just not in a good position. It's, you know, it's facing towards you, facing away from you. You don't have a shot and you got to hold it full draw for 60 seconds before you take that cold shot. I think that not practicing like you're going to hunt. And we'll talk about that a little bit more, but yeah, that's a big mistake in thinking that, that you're going to get, you don't get 36 arrows you know, right. no. or not. You get one typically, or if you're like Butch, I guess you get six. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Just that one time. Unfortunately, I wish they would do that every time. Yeah. I haven't shot six at one, but I did shoot three at, at one, one time, but yeah. it might've been I, four. I, I did oh, hit no. it on the third shot. So yeah, I never hit anything on these. So. <laughs> oh man. man. What about you? Going back to what you were saying, yeah, going back to what you were saying a little bit, Joe, about overcomplicating just your bow selection. I think that at some point I overcomplicated every selection, but you don't know what you don't know. You know what I mean? Now I know that now I know that simpler is better. Like I I can remember. Yeah. I can just yeah, yeah, sure. I can just remember, you know, having six pins on that bow that probably couldn't even shoot 40 yards dead, you know, lethally. Right. And I just remember messing with the pins all the time. And then you got to get your, your peep sight just perfect. And right. I just can remember over complicating everything and it does not have to be that complicated, but you don't know what you don't know. With the sight in particular, I think the overcomplication and again, going back to, uh, the last bow upgrade I made, I went from that second bow I ever had to the third bow I ever had, but it was a drastic quantum leap in terms of yeah. technology. I mean, I went Me too, from a, actually I went from a two hundred dollar bow to a two thousand dollar bow, and you know, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about you know with accessories and everything, and I got a sight that was a slider sight, you know, and I could go from dial it from twenty yards out to a hundred yards, which is cool when you're out there playing around, but in a hunting environment. For me, like you said, that's too much crap. That's too much to think about. That's too much to figure. And yeah, most of the time in most, you know, bow hunting scenarios, it it can, it happens pretty fast and you don't want to be thinking like, which pin do I use? Or, all right, hold on a minute. Let's, uh, let me adjust this sight while the deer's walking, you know, out. Well, first you gotta, you gotta range it and then you gotta gotta have the exact range and all that. I mean, one of the awesome things about bow technology is that they all shoot pretty flat nowadays. I mean, you can get, most bows are going to shoot really. You could use the same pin out to about 35 yards. In most cases, some bows maybe even flatter than that. But you know, when you think about I've taken and and, and I'd have to go back and count it up, but dozens of deer, you know, with a bow and I've made two shots that were past 40 yards. So you're talking about the vast majority of the time, those shots are inside of 35. And I, and I would say even more often than not, they're inside of 25, because if you yeah. scouted correctly, you ought to be able to get, you know, fairly close. I definitely think the overcomplication is something that not only is it just more, you got to mess with it, but it starts to mess with your psychology when Big you're time. hunting, you know, cause then you're you just got too much to think about, man. You're not thinking think about, about, you're not thinking about draw anchor point, 
squeeze the trigger. It's too much other mess yeah. for me. Well, and and that's another thing too. I know Nick, you've gotten into hunting with a crossbow, and I I have hunted with a crossbow. I have found that I enjoy compound hunting more. I feel more connected to it. I don't have anything against crossbow hunting or or people that use them, but I will say that in, in years where I haven't been able to practice as much as I would like to, I I wished I'd had a crossbow in those scenarios because to me, you're doing the animal a disservice if you're going out there and you're not prepared. If you're not uh, lethal. Uh, you just don't, you shouldn't be hunting. Like your dad said, you don't know how to bow hunt. You're not going. Absolutely. That was how I first started crossbow hunting was, was similar to what you were saying earlier. I didn't have a good place. I lived in an apartment complex on the edge of town. And that was something I talked with the property manager. And the answer was absolutely not. You're, <laughs> you're not getting out there flinging arrows on the side of the building, backside of the parking lot. Absolutely not hard. Yeah. No. And uh, so I did, I, I, I bought my first crossbow then because I feel and people have mixed thoughts on this, but, but people say, well, I bow hunt for the challenge. And I think that's great, but I, something I think everybody should ask themselves when you're setting up a challenge for yourself, if you fail the challenge, who pays the price, right? You know? So if you're, if you're hunting on the ground and you mess up and you spook a deer and he gets away, that's no harm, no foul. If you're hunting with a recurve bow and a deer walks by at 40, 50 yards and you can't reach out and shoot him, no harm, no foul. If you're challenging yourself with a bow, and you take a 25, 30 yard shot and you hit him in a muscle or you gut shoot him. Well, that, that animal's paying for your challenge, you know, right. which, which never quite sat right for me. So I, I agree when I got to the point where I didn't feel like I was proficient as I wanted to be, I felt like the best recourse was switching over to a, a crossbow. And then I've, I've kept hunting with a crossbow largely because on public land, that's enough of the challenge in and of itself. Um, and I enjoy hunting from the ground and bow hunting from the ground. The guys who do that consistently, I have a huge amount of respect for them. That's something I've only pulled off two or three times. Very challenging. I agree with you on that. I mean, if you've ever heard me on here or heard me on our fishing reports, you're never going to hear me bash anybody for doing anything legal. If you're taking whatever amount of game you're allowed to take, whatever amount of fish you're allowed to take hunting by whatever means are legal to hunt, go for it. I'm all for it. That being said, to me, a lot of the challenge in hunting with a bow is just getting close. You know, I'm, I'm, mm. ne- I'm never happy when I don't make a good shot. Like I always wish I had made a good shot. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's something that people need to ask themselves a, a real, you know, just kind of stare themselves in the, in the mirror and ask themselves, like, have I practiced enough to really warrant me going out and hunting? And maybe I need to have a crossbow. Maybe I don't have the time that I think I should have, or think I will have. And, and I need to think, you know, go grab a crossbow and hunt so that you're hunting, yeah. you know, lethal. And, and I, I would say as a disclaimer, not picking on bow hunters, it, it's any weapon, right? Like if, yeah. if you're hunting with a rifle, like if you don't have sure. proficiency with that weapon, that that's on you um but it is and I'll, I'll say this unabashedly as a crossbow hunter sometimes crossbow hunters get a chip on their shoulder it, it is easier to shoot a crossbow it just is you know to, oh, to sure. hit something at 30 40 yards with something that you know you don't have to draw back and hold you're taking your anchor point out of the equation you got a flatter trajectory it is easier that's something that that the average outdoorsman who has some experience with with firearms training and and bow hunting just in general you can maintain proficiency with that weapon with drastically fewer shots than with a compound bow so yeah totally agree with that and and like you said those fundamentals come from practice but for whatever reason they can they can fall apart you know (laughs) like like i said i shot and shot and shot and shot and i remember one year i had 
the first four deer of the season. Thankfully, they're all does, but I missed the first four deer of the season in a row. And it was like in five hunts. I mean, I was having a come apart. Uh, I was having an existential crisis because I, I literally was like, I don't know what in the world is going on. I, I missed a deer. I went to the range. Everything was fine. I missed another deer, went to the range. Everything was fine. And I finally figured out that my issue was I've been practicing flat, you know, again, going back to not having a great place to practice, just shooting in the yard, shooting flat, everything's great. And then I started hunting from a tree stand and what I was doing was dropping my bow arm, the arm that I'm holding the bow with, instead of keeping everything in line and bending at the waist to adjust for that animal being below me, I was just dropping the arm that I was holding my bow and it was causing me to miss high, you know, couple that with the animal, you know, ducking the string a little bit and I was missing high. And as soon as I started bending at the waist again, I started hitting again, you know, no, no problem. So that's my major fundamental issue that I have to contend with for whatever reason I picked up that, that yip in my swing. Funny, man. It's just like baseball. It's funny yeah. you get in a slump. You just realize, yeah. you know, you're not, yeah, you're not, uh, not doing something to that little recipe. Just, just, just perfect. And that didn't happen early in my career. I mean, I, again, I'd sure. killed dozens of deer before I started doing that. I don't know why I started doing it, but I did. What about you, Butch? What's your, what's your fundamental mistake that you would advise folks to uh, try to avoid? I'd say the biggest thing that I, I was mentioning the peep site earlier, I would say the anchor point, because if you don't have your anchor point lined up, whether that be whatever that may be, you know, some people have the corner of the mouth, some people have the, you know, the thing right behind your earlobe where your knuckle sits or a kisser button, whatever that may be, it took me a little while to figure out what my sweet spot was. And whenever I got my new bow, I did not also realize that my draw length was like, when I mean a little bit short, I mean, I couldn't even really feel it. But whenever I took it to the bow shop, he could tell immediately. Yeah. So couple that with the anchor point issue. And uh, we had a rough couple of seasons there, really just about one one half of a season. And then I figured that out with my new my new unit, and it was no problem at all. But anchor point, I would say, is probably my biggest inconsistency in the slumps that I've been in. I've been related to that. I'm glad you brought that up because what cured your problem and ultimately what cured my problem was having somebody that knew what they were talking about watch me shoot. And yeah, I think a big, that's, big deal. if you ever, or if you're just getting started, or if you're just not consistent, like you'd like to be, you need to find someone who knows what they're talking about and let them watch you shoot. Yeah. Because I've learned a lot from that. And it wasn't anything, most of the problems that I had, have ever had, had nothing to do with the bow. It had nothing to do with the setup, you know, and it was all me. And I just had to get, I had to get right. And then, and then everything was okay again, but you got to have somebody, got to have somebody to look at. What about you, Nick? Yeah, I'd, I'd say piggybacking off of that is somebody who, who was a tech there for a little bit. And, you know, once you do something for a living, you start getting people reach out to you. All your buddies want you to kind of, you know, diagnose their swing. And uh, I'd say a big thing, make sure you pick that guy, have somebody watch you shoot, pick one guy watch you shoot because worst thing i see is you see new people they'll get on a facebook group or a web forum and they'll ask hey guys i'm having troubles with my group i, I kind of think it's this like maybe my bow's not fit maybe i'm dropping my elbow what do you think and then they've got 20 different people giving them 20 different things that's wrong right and they end up worse than they were in the beginning trying to fix problems that may not even exist like i'd say pick pick you a mentor um i got real lucky starting out my archery journey a good friend of mine, Mike Jensen, used to be a guide out in Mississippi and shot pro for a couple of different brands. Real good guy. We liked him, trusted him. 
Um, and he really made me a, a much better shot as far as the fundamentals went in very short time. You know, a couple of sessions with him really cured what ailed me. You know, when I think too about fundamentals, it's, it's really not just with shooting, you know, there is shooting form fundamentals, but there's also just kind of the fundamentals of the shot itself and, and making sure you're, you're doing things right. You know, one of the things that comes to mind for me, like, and again, I'm talking in a hunting scenario is knowing ranges. You know, I, I, early on in my bow hunting career, I never had a range finder. Uh, everything was paced off. You know, when I went out in the yard, my bow was not set to 25 yards. It was set to 25 of my paces because I knew that I could go out in the woods and pace something off at 25 of my paces. And that's how my pin, I don't know exactly how many yards any of it was because I wasn't going to have a range finder in the woods. So I, I didn't use one in the yard and I can remember, you know, getting a tree stand set up and say, okay, how far is that tree? And I'd pace it off and kind of do those oh, yeah. things. I still do that. I still don't have a range finder. Well, and, and I, and honestly, I've, I've gravitated back to that because when you think about, uh, setting up how you shoot one of the, going back to the bows that shoot more flat, my bow, I can pretty much shoot one pin out to about 40 yards. I don't Me really too. need to take a shot past 40 yards. And what I've learned to do over the years is I've got my bow set so that it has, uh, you know, if you talk to guys who shoot rifles, they'll talk about the maximum point blank range. You know, that's the, that's the spot where the uh, flight of the bullet's not going to deviate more than, say, three inches above the point of aim or three inches below the point of aim. And it gives you the ma- the most flat shooting point of aim. And that's what I, the way I try to set my bow up. And that way, when a animal's walking through the woods quickly and I don't have time to even think about how far away it is, it's like, well, if it's inside of my maximum point blank range, I'm going to kill it. And if it's not, I'm going to miss it. But <laughs> if it was too far, I was going to miss it anyway. So... Yeah. You know, and it, and if an animal is out there calm and the and the wind's right and everything, the stars are aligned, and I decide I'm going to take a longer shot, like I want everything to be very calm. I'm going to have a lot of time to really settle into that shot. I'm not going to take that shot quickly, and I don't recommend anybody else does either. But unless it's about, a pig or a coyote, then you can just shoot. Well, and that's actually how I learned that <laughs> is because I was deer hunting and I had a coyote come in, and I drew. He saw me and kind of ran away from me and he was just out there. I have no idea how far he was. And I was like, whatever, I'll just fling one. And I just held and shot and, and drilled him. And then I ranged how far he was. And he was like 49 yards away. And I shot him with my pin set for like, whatever it's set for 34 yards or something like that. And, you know, so that, that was how I learned that. I mean, it's, uh, to me, it's better to have a simple setup, have one pin that's pretty flat. You think you can take a longer shot. That's, that's every hunter's own individual thing but to me i just feel like i'm gonna i'm gonna try to get my shots inside of 35 that's that's what i want to do when it comes to other types of fundamentals nick is there anything that comes to mind for you that you know you've you've made a mistake over this cost you oh yeah like um you know switch switched over several years ago to a crossbow so the the mechanical fundamentals the anchor point and all of that not nearly as important but just as far as a fundamental of bow hunting and it kind of ties into fundamentals too is your follow-through you know, a lot of guys, you think follow through dropping your arm, but also like in a hunting scenario, you want to watch that arrow and I'm the world's worst. And it doesn't matter how many seasons I get under my belt. I'll end up shooting a deer, texting my dad or texting a buddy saying, Hey, I just shot a deer. And they're like, well, well, good. Like, uh, where'd you hit it? And I'm like, huh. And like, you're replaying the mental footage and you're like, well, it was, it come out here and it stood here and I shot it and I, 
I mean, I think I hit it. Like I'm, and then I'll start guessing. Like, well, it was right there at twenty yards. Surely I hit it, but I don't see no blood from the tree. And did I hear? Did I hear the arrow hit? And uh, then they'll be like, well, which way did he go? And it's like, well, I don't know. Good. Right. And people look at you like, geez, is this your first rodeo? And it's like, no, I just, I get excited. I get, yeah. I get a little amped up and the tape, the tape gets a race after the it, shot. Yeah. It's it just that tape starts skipping a little bit. Your Wi-Fi <laughs> connection cuts out and yeah, I don't know what funny. just happened. So I, I make that mistake all the time. The, the tunnel vision is strong with, with your adrenaline pump. It is. It well, is, and you, and I don't even know that it's adrenaline because like I said, I'll, I'll shoot in a season four or five deer. Like I, I shoot. And does I shoot a lot of does like I don't get pre-shot jitters, you know, and I know because a, a few years ago I did get a big adrenaline dump. I, I shot at the buck. It was just quick aside. Like I shot at him and I hadn't chambered around and the firing pin just went click mm. and dude, my adrenaline shot through the roof and I had the shakes like I haven't had since I was probably 12 years old <laughs> trying to get on that deer because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm fixing to let this, this buck get away. So I, I know what an adrenaline rush is, and and that ain't it. It's just something like you're so focused on making it happen. You're watching that deer. You're planning your shot like, okay, well, I'm going to draw once she gets her head behind that tree, and I'm going to shoot her right there. That's going to be my lane. If I don't mm-hmm. shoot her there, she's walking out of my life. You get so focused on making it happen, and and then you just – it's like you're like, oh, and you sigh, and, and then it's like, well, wait a second. Like I, I cut off – system went offline just right. a little bit too soon if i could have just focused that razor sharp for one more second yeah then i'd know where to start looking for this blood trail but yeah here i am you know i think thinking to that it makes me think about i have i have struggled i don't even want to really want to say it it's because i'm afraid i might you know get it again but uh, i have struggled with target panic from time to time and one of the things that has always given me target panic is feeling like the animal is going to get away. It happens to me with a rifle. It happens to me with a bow. And a lot of times if you're hunting like narrow shooting lanes or you're hunting a, a very tight window shot opportunity, you know, if you've got a shooting lane that's that's very narrow and you know you're just going to get just a, maybe a second, you know, to take the shot. Or even with a rifle, if you're hunting like something long, like a Sendero or a road where those animals may just be crossing. If you don't, you know, you see the animal and you know you want to shoot it, and your mind immediately goes, I got to get this shot off. They're about to leave. They're about to leave. They're about to leave. And that's, that's when I've always yanked the trigger because I want that bullet or that arrow to go now. I want it to go now so I don't miss the opportunity. And what I've had to tell myself over the years is like, it's okay if the animal gets away. Like, it's all right. It's probably not. You know, the reality is like the animal wants to be where you're, where you're hunting or else you wouldn't be hunting there. You're probably going to get another opportunity, but I'd rather not get the opportunity, not take the shot and and live to get another shot in the future. And so one of the things I've always had a really hard time doing, and I would recommend people practice this with live animals when they have the opportunity is practice letting your bow down on an animal. If you have got a deer that's within range and it's not a deer you want to shoot, practice drawing, practice letting down, because I'd much rather let down and then draw again, then I would just try to force that shot. And that's where I've gotten into trouble in the past. I call that target panic. It's just, it's forcing that shot. It's wanting it to go right now. And it's something I still can struggle with year to year. I I think you make a good point too, Joe, saying that it's, it's better to mentally resign yourself to some deer will get away um, and not try to force a shot that's not going to work out and i'm guilty of that too sometimes just saying okay well this is it we're gonna you know you make a snap second decision and then you think oh geez why did i do that but this is talking about mistakes we've made a mistake that i 
harvest the fruit of nightly sometimes it seems for stretches at a time is deer that i made a poor shot on bucks that got away and that is that is a thing i have learned like the the risk reward balance is off on that like yeah it's great to shoot big deer when you bring bring deer home that feels awesome but i'll be honest and say i i remember more vividly the deer that i lost and yep. then you spend the next three days looking for, and that, right. that is something that sticks with Heart wrenching. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you, you sitting there a year later at night playing it over in your head and I've done it. I've sat there and gone two or three years after I shot a deer and just thought, well, you know, what if he ran here? What if he crossed the Creek and got here and two, three years later, you're out there looking for <laughs> bones and, yeah. and that just don't work. Now I'm at the point where if I don't feel really good about it, it's like, I ain't worth losing sleep over. That's I'll right. come back. I'll come back next weekend. I'll yeah. set up differently next weekend. That's right. That's, that's it. a, great, Man, that's a there, great way to look at if it. If there's one thing I hope that people could take from this, it's, it's probably that which is if you can avoid having to feel that empty feeling of, of wounding an animal and losing it and wondering, yeah. did I just kill something and not making a good shot? It's just a terrible feeling. It's a, ter- it's a terrible part of hunting. Nobody wants to do it. Yeah. I've quit bow hunting several times. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it, it hit me hard yeah. this year with, with a muzzleloader. I shot a deer with a muzzleloader and I knew I hit it. And I spent three days of peak rut and instead of hunting, and, and this was a deer that in hindsight, I could have let him walk and came back and shot him the next day. It was, a, yeah. it was a younger buck, nice antlers, but a younger buck on a piece of property that wasn't getting messed with. He had a really predictable thing go and shot him over a scrape. And I could have shot him probably that evening over the same scrape or the next morning working the same scrape line. But I shot him and you spent three days, like 72 straight hours of not being able to form a a thought in your head (laughs) that wasn't related to that deer. And it's just agonizing. Well, not only would you maybe have killed him later in the day, you may have killed him later in the same hunt. I mean, think about times when you've hunted and you've let a deer go for whatever reason you let them go. And then, you know. They just mill around all, it seems like they yeah. just won't leave, you know? <laughs> and yeah. you, in your head, you're just automatically thinking that this is my only chance. I've got to make the shot. I've got to make it happen. And that's just, most of the time that's wrong. It's rare for you to just have a deer just pass through and not get more than one opportunity. Yeah, so especially yeah, early season. it's a mindset thing going into that hunt. Like you said, is being okay with letting a deer get away. It's, it's a hard, it's a hard, hard lesson to learn. You know, Butch, you were talking about just keeping it simple and not overcomplicating your setup. I know one of the one of the accessories that I've overcomplicated has been broadheads. I shot muzzy hundred grain three blade broadheads. That was the first broadhead I ever shot. And the thing I really liked about them was the replaceable blades. So you always have sharp blades and you had practice blades. So I always was able to practice like I was hunting. You know, I never shot field tips. I was always shooting my broadheads. I didn't have to do a broadhead tune, you know, going into the season. That's one of the things that's always given me kind of a little bit of, I don't like that. You know I mean? Like you, if you shoot in the off season and you're feeling real comfortable with your bow and then all of a sudden here's hunting season, you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to go mess with my sight. Like, <laughs> I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to do plan. that, you know? And, and with the transition, I've, I've started messing with the, the newest and latest and greatest broadheads. And man, I tell you what, if you put it in the right spot, it doesn't matter what the, how big the cutting diameter is. I mean, it's all about putting it in the right spot and having it be really sharp. Uh, so I think one of the biggest mistakes I've made with accessories is not practicing like I'm going to hunt. It's a bigger deal than what it would seem, but you know, you need to be doing that. If you're, if you're shooting field tips, then I'd recommend shooting an expandable, uh, because you're not going to have that, that deviation, you know, as you go into shooting your broadheads 
What about, what about you, Nick? I mean, with your accessories or, or with, um, you know, just, is there any mistakes you've made overall with just hunting accessories as a whole when it comes to bow hunting? Yeah, I got to the point where I was so enthusiastic about going lightweight and minimalist and getting rid of all of my accessories that I've, I have, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I have shot deer and then walked up to a dead deer and, and not had gloves, not had a sharp knife, not had anything that you needed to deal with the mess that you just made. Right. I've, I've done that before. I think, especially when you're first starting out, you know, kind of like you were saying earlier, Joe, you start hunting in the first few years, realistically, you're not killing a lot of deer. And as odd as that sounds, that gets on the back burner. The thought, well, I will eventually shoot a deer and, right. and have to turn it into deer meat. So. Right. Of course, folks may have heard me talk about on this podcast before, but one of the biggest mistakes I ever made uh, bow hunting was was not having a safety harness on. When I was 19, I fell out of a tree stand. Tree stand didn't have a problem. Uh, there was really no no gear malfunction. I had a limb break. and. Ended up falling and, and, and almost died uh, because of it. But the main message there is wear your daggum safety harness and wear it from the minute you leave the ground to the minute you get back on the ground. That's another thing I see people, mistake I see people making is they, they climb the tree and then they hook their safety harness up and then they hunt and then they unhook their safety harness and climb down. And the, the statistics show the vast majority of tree stand accidents happen as people are getting into and coming out of the tree stand. So as always, safety needs to be paramount in everything you're doing from a hunting perspective. But man, if you're not wearing a safety harness, I, you, you're just going to have to listen to me preach for a while. I'm telling you, wear your daggum safety harness. If you're not, you are not going to have time to react to falling. Everybody that thinks lifeline. That lifeline that you turned me on to is, was the game changer for that. For me, it takes all of the, it takes all of the, man, this is going to be annoying. I'm going to have to climb, have to unhook every two seconds, every every couple steps and make noise. That lifeline is an absolute game changer. You can stay hooked on from the time your feet leave the ground um, till your, you know, your feet are back on the ground up and down. That was, that was it just takes all the laziness out of it. It's no not excuse. only that; it's it's quieter. I mean, right. it's it's just overall quieter than having to deal with in, doing it any other way. Once you get it set up, and you do that when you're setting your tree stand early in the season, then you're good to go. But but if you don't use lifelines, use use double lineman's belts. If you're using fixed position stands, because you're going to have to go up and around limbs from time to time. If you're using a climbing stand, make sure you're tethered. You know, from the time you start climbing to the time you get back. I mean, the 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 long and the short of it is, if you keep yourself tethered to that tree from the minute your feet leave the ground to the minute they get back on the ground you're not going to get hurt real bad you might still get Mm -hmm. hurt a little bit if you fall but you're just going to get banged up you're not going to die you're not going to get be paralyzed you're you're not going to leave your family behind wear your daggum safety harness you know another thing i've messed up on is just not being ready to mark a daggum blood uh blood trail is you go out there, it seems like you always shoot that deer 15 minutes or 10 minutes before it gets dark. By the time you get down out of the tree and you get out there to where you thought the deer was when you shot it, you're having a hard time finding the blood to start with. And then when you finally do get blood, it's like, okay, what am I going to mark this with? Because I need to go back and get a better light. And I'm going to go back and get some buddies to help me search. I just always keep a little bit of toilet paper with me. And, you know, that way you can put that down on the ground and go ahead and get that, that blood trail marked right out of the gate and that ties back into what nick was saying is just being ready for a, a dead deer having a plan for that we talked about you know not practicing enough and that's that's important and, and you know nick 
brought up a good point of really, you know, taking that cold shot. But one of this is something I, I, I noticed uh, actually from watching my wife get into bow hunting. And that's not understanding animal anatomy and where you actually need to place a broadhead. You've heard people say over the years, shoot that deer or shoot that animal behind the shoulder. And I wish that would have never, I just wish that would have never been a saying because it's not behind the shoulder is not where most people think it is. For me, the mistake I made over the years is when, when you are having that adrenaline pump and you are taking a quick shot or you're taking a, a longer or longish shot, you know, when you're shooting at a deer and he's 35 yards away, your pin's kind of covering him up to some extent. So my trick for understanding an, the animal's anatomy and bringing that into my practice is I use that offside front leg. If you'll take that offside front leg and follow that front leg up to middle of the deer's body, you're going to be in the vital area, whether he's quartering to quartering away, you know, that's, that's going to be the right aiming point. I think that that's something that people are not thinking about in their practice. They're just out there shooting at the square, shooting at the dot, and they're not thinking about shooting that anatomy when they're practicing. Have you, Nick, have you ever taken a shot on an animal and then just realized you just shot him in the middle of the body on accident? So, and this is something, I guess, you just go show everybody's, everybody's got different thoughts on it. And, and deer really, I tell people all the time, deer are really easy to kill with a bow. Like deer was made to be killed with a bow versus something like elk or, or big game. Yes, I have shot deer too far back. But if I go back over the 50 or 60 deer I've killed with archery tackle and, and just look at the results of deer that got shot too far forward or too far back, like you're saying, like most people I think shoot too far back, but you'll find a gut shot deer and a deer with arrow that bounced off his shoulder or clipped him in the brisket that mm -hmm. you're not finding that deer. Right. Yep. But I'd, I'd kind of say what you were saying. You talk about lining up that backside leg. I, it took me a long time to get it in my head to shoot there's got to go through the deer. It's got to go in and it's got to go out. And I've made a lot of shots that look real pretty on the entry wound and they look real ugly on the exit wound. Right. I've had, yeah. I've had some that come out, you know, close to the ham, which is, which is a little too far back. And it may look good on the front end, may be in the rib cage, but it didn't go out the rib cage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That trajectory and that geometry, the geometry can be a little tricky sometimes, especially if you're 15 or 20 feet in the air. I'd say too, I've missed a lot of deer high. And just something I found out over time, like a deer, like, and I, I think I really had it in my head. Like you hear about people talking deer, jump the string, jump the string. Oh, we jumped the string. And me being younger, I just assume, well, jump, you jump up. So, I, right. you know, but when they say deer jump the string and you hear people say this too, they duck the string. They don't, they, I've never seen deer jump over something, right. duck. So if you aim low on a deer, I, I, it took me time to do and i don't always do it but if i'm conscious through the shot i will put my pen where i think i should go and then go a little lower because that's, that's just worked out for me over the years a low shot has worked out a lot better than some of the high shots you know when i think back to when i first started bow hunting and then to when i started consistently taking deer with a bow it really wasn't any big change in equipment. It wasn't any big change in form. It wasn't any big change in accessories. It was all about scouting. It was all about stand placement. Uh, and it was all about just understanding the animal's 
movements and putting myself where I needed to be to get within range. So when it comes to stand placement, scouting, what do you think? What's what's a mistake that you've made, Nick? A mistake that I have made when I was out scouting. I would say the biggest mistake I've made is setting up too soon, not not seeing the whole property mm-hmm. and, and setting up on good sign and not great sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one, man. You know, it's, it's easy to just kind of go out there and you just want to hunt. Like you're ready to, you're ready to get up there and get settled and, and get it over with. Yeah. But I, I can't tell you how many times I have climbed a tree, wasted an evening and then climbed down that evening or that afternoon or gone back the next day and found a spot a hundred yards away. Right. And it been like, Oh, that's what I should have been sitting. Yeah. You know, you're hunting the edges of the area and, and not right where you should be. You know, you're setting up on the first scrape you see and not following that scrape line back to the little oak thicket where you can sit there and in one tree and 30 yards of you, there's a dozen scrapes, you yeah. know, that type scenario. I think for me, the learning curve was, was in not having enough cover when I did put my stand uh, up is, you know, I was just looking for the first place that I could hang a stand and it a might backdrop be, is important. Oh man, you know, it's the, it's the difference between being able to get a shot off and not in a lot of mm-hmm. scenarios, you know, you can get close, but if you can't get drawn, it's not doing you any good. And so there's a lot of little things that go into stand placement that to me just come kind of second nature now. Like when I'm putting up a stand, I'm, I'm taking into account, okay, is this somewhere I'm going to hunt in the morning or is it somewhere I'm going to hunt in the evening? If it's somewhere I'm going to hunt in the morning. Well, I don't want to be facing to the east where when the sun rises, it's going to be directly in my eyes. I want to be facing to the west. So the deer's got to be looking into the sun. There's lots of little things like that. And you, I think you, we could talk about that. That would be a whole show in and of itself, but you'll pick those little things up. And it's not the end of the world. If you're staring at the sun and you got to pull the brim of your hat down a little bit and, you know, to shield your eyes, that's not the end of the world. What I want to do here is talk about really one tip, one, one thing that we can leave people with that if they're new to bow hunting, if, if they're coming maybe from a, a, a rifle hunting background and they want to get into bow hunting and get on a deer this season, Nick, I want to know what's your one scouting tip, just your top one you can think of for somebody. If they're going in blind, it's early season and you want to get them on a deer to shoot with archery tackle, what would you tell them to do? I would say if, if you wanted something, if you're a new bow hunter, and you're looking for something easy and, and high success rate, something that's easy to recognize when you walk out into the woods, can't mistake it, and, and easy to set up on, particularly in early bow season down here when it's still hot. If you will pick a creek, if there's a creek that runs through your property, if you will get down in that creek and walk that creek, get in it if you got to or walk the banks of it and look for a crossing. Look for if you got two sandbars and you got tracks on each sandbar on the left and right side of the stream, if you got a steep bluff bank and you can tell where they've cut a gouge coming down that steep bank going up and down it, if you set up on that creek crossing, gives you an easy, a lot of times an easy, quiet way into your stand, these little narrow streams, these little SMZs you see on timber property and stuff, you can walk them in a pair of, of, of knee boots or hip boots so you can get in. The running water will cover your sound if you're walking in the creek, you're down low where it makes them harder to see you off through the woods. So you've got real good access. You're not leaving scent and you can walk in that way and pick that trail crossing and you're, and you're at a crossing because most of the times the creek will have a trail 
that parallels the bank. And then you just find the crossing. So you're sitting at an intersection in the middle of the woods that you've got good access to. That's a really high odd spot. And it's easy to see deer tracks in the mud. What about you, Butch? You took a real nice deer with your bow last year. What was your secret? It was really hot, man. It was really, really hot. I remember having, I was drawn back and I remember looking down at my arrow and sweat was dripping on my arrow (laughs) off the tip of my nose. I did have a good hunt this year, man. I think the key to that one was, is I had a trail camera set up kind of watching the, the summer plot, you know, making sure that everything was growing well. And I was able to pattern, it was probably four or five really, really nice deer coming in there pretty much every afternoon at the exact same time. And it seems like whenever they're doing that early, they'll keep coming back to that. They'll keep coming back to that plot. They'll keep coming back to that food pretty much every day, unless you go in there and booger them up. Yep. So I think a trail camera on uh, some good summer food is a great idea. You'll be able to pattern that bachelor group. And uh, if you don't want to set up right, you know, on the edge of the plot where you know they're coming in, figure out where they're bedding and or figure out where they're going to get some water. If you have some water close and get on a trail and get them coming or going. Yeah, that's a great tip, man. It, it, what I've done in the past in that scenario is if you can find that bachelor group that's consistently using that food source, you can go back and reverse engineer the days that they were there and figure out, well, what was the wind doing that day? Absolutely. And yeah. that'll give you a pretty good feel for where those deer are bedding because they're not going to bed far from that food source. And they're only going to come to that food source when they feel comfortable coming to it. So, you know, if you've got consistent pictures of a group of deer coming in and then you go back and you look and you say look these deer are coming in here on north winds east winds then you know okay the next time i get a north wind or an east wind those deer are probably going to choose that food source because they're comfortable with it and then you can set up your stand location accordingly to adjust for that was a really good article written by josh honeycutt in great days outdoors magazine last year on hunting wind edges and that's the concept Um, it was October of last year, actually. I just looked yeah. at that one. <laughs> yeah. So, I, no, that's great, man. I mean, those are just two real simple ways to get on a deer quick. And for me, I think back to all the deer poop I walked past thinking I was going to find something better than that. For me, if I was telling somebody, hey, here's one way to go kill a deer this year, I would say find the hardwoods wherever you're hunting. Walk those hardwoods until take your 22 and go in there, you know, during squirrel season before deer season opens up and figure out which trees have got good, a good acorn crop falling. If you can find that and then you can find deer poop around that consistent food source, what that tells me is that those animals are spending a pretty significant amount of time. Because if I'm finding multiple piles, that that's not just a deer passing through that is a deer walking around in a circle, feeding, staying in that location. Another thing you can look for is, especially if you're hunting under hardwoods, is look for the leaves to be kind of trampled. They're going to be brittle. They're going to have, it's not going to be a nice dry oak leaf. It's going to be all broken up into little pieces where they're just smashing it as they're Stomping walking around, around looking yeah. for, you know, that day's drop of acorns. And if you, whenever you find that good pile of poop, do you, uh, like, you know, kind of pick it up and see if it's warm or put it in your mouth to see what they've been eating. <laughs> I mean, you could try that. I didn't, I haven't really ever found that, you know, to be vital to my situation, but yeah, me neither. I would never do anything like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you got to see if it's uh, red oak or white oak, you know, <laughs> but I'm just saying details matter. That's right. No, but I mean, I, I can think of countless times where it was like uh, me looking for a good new spot. And I walked past stuff like that thinking I was going to find, I don't know what I was looking for. Maybe I thought I was going to find like 
the buck den where there was 12 squ- scrapes in a circle <laughs> right. I, I, or 12 rubs in a circle. I don't know. But if it looks really good, it, it probably is hunt it, yeah. you know, don't, don't, don't overthink it. Cause you can definitely do that too. Yeah. I, I say, but if you, if you find that in, in early season, that, yeah, you're not going to beat that. You're not going to beat a tree that's got all the leaves cleared out from around it. It's got little green le- green leaf twigs from where squirrels are cutting acorns up in the canopy, the deer are eating, and it's got five or six piles of deer poo. That's it. I mean, deer deer do three things. They eat, they hide, and they breed. And they ain't breeding in both seasons. So they're eating right. and hiding. You have, you have found the eating spot. And, and on an evening hunt especially, those are – very high odd setups. I'm kind of jealous you took that tip, but I wanted to. <laughs> we, we, we go, we're going to edit it and let that be my tip instead. Right. So I get credit for it. All right, folks, we'll be right back. Y'all take a minute and check out some of the businesses that make this show free for you every episode. This segment was brought to you by Mallard Bay Outdoors. Mallardbay.com is the Airbnb style marketplace for discovering and booking your next guided hunting and fishing adventures. The Mallard Bay platform was built by sportsmen for sportsmen. Their mission is to help expand access to affordable and successful hunting by connecting you with verified outfitters across the United States. You can browse trips and prices by state or species, select the dates you'd like to go, message outfitters, and secure your dates all from one platform, mallardbay.com. Not sure where you want to go yet? Reach out on Instagram or Facebook, and they can help you find your dream hunt. And also by Southern Seed and Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients to your deer? If so, try Southern Buck Food Plot Blends. Your deer will love it. At Southern Seed and Feed, they specialize in making textured feed for horses, cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, chickens, small animals, and wildlife. Their products are proven irresistible, scientifically formulated to promote excellent herd health and hunter satisfaction. They supply products to various distributors throughout the South. So visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. And also brought to you by Bucks Island Marine. At BucksIsland.com, you can check out the full list of inventory from new and used bass, pontoon, and bow rider style boats, new and used motors, as well as kayaks. They love trade-ins, which provides a steady stream of used boats, and they can rig your boat at their 18-bay service department or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory trained and certified technicians, so visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. Well, guys, I mean, I could sit here and just talk about the stand placement scouting stuff for an entire show, but but that's the fun part for me, you know, is getting out there and learning and, you know, picking up little things that, that are helping me close the distance. What I don't like is making mistakes. I mean, you do learn from them, but I still don't like making them. I hope that this podcast is going to help people at least not make the same mistakes we've made, because this is literally decades of <laughs> of trial Messing and error that's yeah. got us to the point where we can at least come on here and say, well, here's what we know not to do. Yeah, I would, I would say it's important to keep in mind if you're starting bow hunting, that bow hunting is hard. I mean, it just is. There's no way around it. Even if you're used to deer hunting, bow, bow hunting is hard. Uh, if it was easy, everybody would do it. And I think it's important that people treat when you're first starting out, don't get frustrated with yourself. You're going to have mess ups with your gear. You're going to set up in the wrong spot. You're going to miss deer. You're going to hit deer and have them get away. It took me 
four or five years of what I consider to be the apprenticeship program but before I graduated to where I was actually a bow hunter and not just some yahoo walking around in the woods with a bow. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week. Just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list and wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got a show topic, that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's show is brought to you by Alabama Farmers Co-op. Alabama Farmers Cooperative has been serving gardeners, farmers, and everyone in between for 85 years. Visit www.alafarm.com for more information and to find a co-op near you. And also, Great Days Outdoors, the South's finest hunting and fishing magazine. Pick up your copy wherever magazines are sold or check them out at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And also by the Hunter's Bait Lowdown Trail Cam Reviewer. The Lowdown High Speed Trail Cam Viewer has flipping fast technology that allows you to view images three times faster on a screen that is 60% bigger than typical 7-inch viewers. Find out more at lowdownviewer.com. And also, Alabama Ag Credit. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com.